0: Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. welcome back to the emotional expedition podcast i'm here today with just a divine soul who i'm deeply connected to i'm sure we have traveled lifetimes together kj nazarul and in full disclosure we recorded this podcast already we already recorded <laughs> it and it didn't work it didn't record well and i tried So a lesson for myself, and maybe there's something to share in there as well. I tried all the things. I tried to force it. I tried to clean the recording up. It was staticky on my part, and it was a good lesson for me to trust, to be able to let go. I didn't want to let go of it because it was such a great episode that I had such a hard time of being like, oh. I have to go back and ask her to record again (laughs) and be a part of this again. And there's some vulnerability in that. Mm. I had to let go of my own perfectionism and just not be so forceful and trust that whatever conversation we are going to have today is probably going to be a little different than what we had previously recorded and maybe in a different kind of alignment. So my eyes are already watering, Mm. which usually is a sign for me that we're onto Mm -hmm. something truthful, Mm -hmm. some sort of truth here. So KJ, if you are familiar with her, she she, uh, was the (laughs) divine soul who helped me tell my story. Mm. So she was on my podcast. Her and Brenda Winkle were the ones who interviewed me for me to tell my story for the first time. And she's here today now to tell her story. She's a psychotherapist, healing artist, speaker. She has her own podcast, which I also have had the Mm -hmm. delight of being on, called Stories of Astonishing Light and she's just an incredible soul. So I'm so grateful that you're here and you said yes again Mm. to come back and do this all over again with me. So welcome to the podcast,
1: KJ. How are you today? Oh, Meg, thanks so much. What a lovely introduction. I'm so well today. I'm so well. Mm. The reason I said yes is because any opportunity I have to connect with you and be in space with you and be in communion with you is always a yes. So it actually mm. felt to me like a gift to be able to to join you again and have what I know is going to be an incredible conversation, healing and revealing and illuminating. And so- No brainer. It was a full body yes, Mm. and it's no problem. Thank you very, very much for having me here. Mm. Thank
0: you. Thank you. So, will you take us to the beginning of your story? What was little KJ like? What were you like? Were you emotional? Were you sensitive? Were you creative? Who was little KJ?
2: Mm.
1: This is such a beautiful question. And it could be answered in a number of different ways, but I think what I want to tell you about is, is this fully emotional little girl, this little sprite. She wasn't always so. She first emerged in this world feeling a little, not a little, a whole lot of unattached and frightened and not certain where her tribe was. I was immediately um, put into the adoption and foster care system upon birth. It was a closed adoption, mm-hmm. and so I have had have no contact or relationship with my biological parents, my birth mother. And so there's something to be said about your first moments in this world where there isn't any sort of attachment or there isn't any sort of security or safety. And so at birth, there was this uncertainty and there was always a looking, there was always a seeking. Where do I belong? Where do I belong? And fast forward, and and we'll get to the in-between, but fast forward to when I was about three and four years old, I guess I was clamoring onto a piano bench in our living room. I eventually was adopted by a beautiful family and they were musicians and they were engineers and I was clamoring onto a piano bench trying to peck away at the keys knowing that I wanted some sort of call and response. I was pushing on the keys so I could hear the vibrations of the strings and hear the sound, hear melodies. So I was a very musical, very inquisitive little one. Hmm. And I was also very, very introspective. I'm using these words now. It was just the natural way of being. Um, But as an adult, looking back now, I'm, I'm using this language of there's introspect, and there's curiosity, and there was a little bit of, a lot of bit of, I feel like I might be downplaying it, but there's quite a bit of loneliness and confusion as well. And so wanting to find some sort of answer or some sort of expression of that, I think that's what I discovered in those piano keys when I would pop up there and peck away. I just needed some sort of vibrational interaction or response. I would sing and I would hum to myself a lot and I would always be spinning and moving. Not so much that I needed to zigzag with energy. It wasn't zaggy energy, but I would always find myself humming and swaying. And so there was always these little fluid sort of waves that I would try to connect with. And I do believe that's an ancestral knowledge as well. I'm, again, I'll just pop forward for a second. I've discovered that I am of the islands. I'm Filipina and Puerto Rican in my background, both island nations. And I feel that I've known that even if I didn't have identifying words for it. But as a child i was always trying to seek that that island flow and so i think i was always looking for the flow looking for the island flow <laughs>
2: yeah mm.
0: i can feel it i can feel it like a like there's this rhythm this heartbeat inside of you mm-hmm. that just needed a, a way to express itself and so you used the tools that you had mm. at your disposal in this home. Mm-hmm. Did you always know that you were adopted?
1: Yes, because of our literal physical characteristics that I could see and that I could direct attention to. My adoptive family is of, of European, Swiss, German background. And I'm this island kiddo of Filipino and Puerto Rican. So there was almost an extreme, like stark differences. My adoptive family is light skinned, freckles, lighter hair. Their facial features are, are more lines, lines and angles, not to say sharp, but I'm curved. I'm curved. Again, there's that mm-hmm. flowy fluid. I'm curved. And I have darker skin, dark hair. And so there was always the, the direct and immediate feedback that there was difference. So looking up at them, I knew that I didn't look like them, but we didn't talk about it all that much, which was really confusing as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. because it's very clear and very obvious that there's these physical differences that I'm not the biological child of these parents. But it wasn't discussed. It was almost taken for granted, I would say, that, well, yeah, there's differences, but we don't have to talk about it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Did it feel like it didn't matter? Like,
2: Mm.
1: Yes. And, and I know you can relate to this, because my loved ones who surrounded me would tell me it didn't matter, but I would Mm -hmm. still feel that it did. So there was again, that incongruence and that, that confusion about, well, then what is it that I'm feeling? Cause I don't, you're telling me that these the messaging was that it it wasn't important enough to talk about or significant enough to to talk about openly but at the same time mm-hmm. it's the first thing that's noted in every moment of say meeting new people or taking family photos or being in the grocery store or just being in public spaces I learned very much so that it did matter because of the way that people would respond. And it wouldn't even be necessarily, although the people would directly say something, sometimes strangers would come up and say to me or say to us, like, what is this? What are you? Mm -hmm. And then other times it would just be a nonverbal, subtle, quote unquote, subtle or innocuous sort of gesture sometimes people's eyes would dart back and forth between between my brother and I if we would be out together or if we were going up to the counter to to buy ice cream and i would see people's eyes sort of gaze between both of us and, and try to put it together and and i know a lot of it was curiosity And I know a lot of it was that people were trying to figure out how to categorize, try to figure out what they were seeing. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Your question is such a good one. I did feel like it mattered, but I was told that it didn't.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And I would
0: say that it was also probably coming from a place of love. At least that was my experience in my own story is that a part of us saying it didn't matter is because we love you and it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. We love you. Mm-hmm. But then I also was met with this paradox of what it felt like inside of me, which was, well, It almost feels like a denial of this part of me if we can't talk about it, if we can't
1: normalize it or have open discussions about it. 100%. There's a a dismissal, a denial, a tamping down of, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like saying to you, your experience isn't real. Your experience isn't valid. Similarly, when folks, and again, I have experienced this as well from my adoptive family, when someone says, I'm colorblind. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, that's not a tie it up and wrap it with a bow resource. Mm -hmm. Although they're using it as that. Like, No more discussion because I'm colorblind. Yeah. No more discussion because we adopted you. You were wanted. So Mm -hmm. you were here and you had family that loved you, parents that loved you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It could be worse. It could be worse. you should be
1: grateful. You should be grateful. I would get that as well. Oh, but you were chosen. Mm -hmm. We wanted you. We wanted you. And I had a lot of medical medical problems when I was an infant and moving through the foster care system before being adopted. So my first year, year and a half, I moved through several foster homes. And so again, mm-hmm. there was that displacement and inability to connect, certainly for long term, because if I connect with somebody, I'm going to be uprooted again. So I learned that extremely valuable lesson, painful lesson before I could even use words. But my body understood that if I made connections, it was going to be disrupted again, and I was going to be either taken away or placed somewhere else. The way that it felt, the way that my cellular system understood it was that I was being abandoned. Yeah. Passed along, passed along, rejected. So... Mm the message I learned there was, okay, suck it up. There's going to be a rejection. There's going to be this passing along. How is it that I can preserve? How is it that I can preserve for the next landing place? And so I'm certain, 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 certain that the way that I was seeking like i call it a call and response i was i was seeking interactive affirmations like with playing the piano like with humming that i'm still here that this physical body this physical vessel is still here and that was my safety and security attachment was can i hear myself am i here so, what I was saying is that I had a lot of medical issues, not surprisingly. And so there was also a little messaging around, around, but I saved you as well. You were saved mm-hmm. because you were so sick. You were saved because mm-hmm. we, we saved you. And again, there's yeah. that, aren't you grateful for that?
0: And you can be. Mm -hmm. You can be two things at the same time. You can be grateful and feel that love and also still wanting to connect with this part of your identity. (sighs) Yeah. Do you believe that people say oh you you don't have memories from i don't know what age it is like you can't consciously remember things from maybe before 4 years old or somewhere in those you know toddler years but i i ascribe to that we do remember them i believe we are imprinted in the mother's womb mm-hmm. like i believe that's like <laughs> we start Thanks. to have that imprintation happening mm-hmm. at that moment in time. So mm-hmm. do you believe that there's a part of you that remembers being in your mother's womb, but also what the, those first couple years looked like being in different foster homes?
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. Again, maybe I don't have the words to describe it, but I have the cellular memories. I have the embodied understanding of what it felt like to be in a safe, warm environment and then not.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) On a very simple understanding, I absolutely can remember what it feels like to feel safe and then feel not safe. Mm. Yeah.
0: So how old were you when you ended up in your
1: home with your adopted parents? Mm. I was not quite a year when I ended up at the home after the foster homes. I think there was something like four or five hot foster homes foster placements in that very short period of time of less than a year. Mm -hmm. And then I was adopted within the year after that. So I was adopted before I was two years old. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I came to my adoptive family's place and being around or just before one year And then you lost your adopted father,
0: your dad.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: I had just turned four years old. It was on Thanksgiving. And that's why I know how old I was because my birthday is on Halloween. And so it's the start of the holiday Mm -hmm. season, right? And so that is another reason why I know there's imprinting because Every holiday season, starting with my birthday, I do feel a deep grief resurge. It feels and it looks differently each year, but it is there. And so I was four years old, just barely turned four years old. And it was Thanksgiving when my father passed away. Yeah. Hmm. I
0: feel like. You've already experienced so much loss and that feeling of abandonment that, and I don't want to define it for you, so if it feels like something different, but my abandonment wound also comes from the place of that my dad died when I was five, so it Mm -hmm. wasn't as if he abandoned me, but through death, that's what it felt like for me, so Mm By age four, you'd already experienced so
1: much of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was very sadly familiar. Mm-hmm. Okay, this loss, this disconnect, this being left behind or being, I've said the word rejected. I've done work around that that doesn't hold the charge as much but when you're so young when you're such a young soul and you don't understand or you don't work through it in that way yet if you choose to do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. all i know is it's a repetition it was a pattern like i said of feeling safe and surrounded and loved and then not it could be gone at any moment yeah, exactly.
0: The uncertainty. The uncertainty. Does it still show up for you as an adult? I'll share how it can show up for me. I never have this thought that, like, my husband would cheat on me, mm. but I have this thought sometimes when he leaves, I all of a sudden will have a thought that he's going to die. Mm. So, like, that's a part of my, and I have to be like, This is the old stuff. This is the old pattern just weaving its way in. And and I have to stop myself and catch myself in that moment. So as an adult, and I know you have done so much work, and even just given the profession that Mm. you're in, that you help other people with these things, does it ever still creep up on you, this feeling
1: of uncertainty or abandonment or any of that? Absolutely it informs the way that I decide to show up or make decisions, save even in my business or in starting new relationships, whether it's business professional or or soul kindred relationships. There's always, or I won't say always, but it can rise again, this feeling of, If I get too comfortable or if I get too certain of this surrounding protectiveness that I feel or the protection that I feel, is there a chance that that's going to go away? And so Mm -hmm. usually my body feels it before my mind understands it. But I don't quite understand that maybe that's what was happening, that that's the communication. So... We were talking a little bit about this earlier about interesting ways that we can either sabotage or make some of these fears occur. Almost to do the preemptive work of like see I told you so, this is going to happen. Yeah. sort of confirming confirming these these threads, these deeply embedded threads of fear, of loss. So yeah, My answer is that it does come up and sometimes in really subtle ways and sometimes in like, wow, smack me across the head in like, you're doing this. You're, you're afraid. What's that about? And it does, I feel, hold deep resonance when it's around relationships. Mm Mm-hmm when it's around relationships and, and it also shapes and, and influences my ongoing relationship with my family, with my adoptive family and with my, my family that I've created with my partner, with my husband and I. So yeah. Yeah. It's funny the way that some of these old patterns or these patterns and these themes—they put on different costumes. They sh- sometimes show up a little mm-hmm. differently, but it's the same story. It's the same, same fear. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: Will you share with us? I'm really, and I know part of it is because of my own story and where I'm at in my own life. Will you share with us what it was like when you received more information about your identity? Mm -hmm. How old were you? What did that look and feel like for you?
1: That was one of the more impactful, significant experiences of my life. And again, it's sort of the way that it manifested or, or showed up was that it was actually quite innocuous and quiet, but the ripples are felt so much so that it, it guides me in how I'm showing up today in this interview, for instance. Right. So I was 21 years old. I was 21 years old. So that 20 ish years had passed after I'd been adopted and been in this family. And my mother had spoken about this, but I had never actually physically held it in my hand. And what I'm speaking about is that there was a typed up letter, only a handful of sentences long, written, authored by the social worker that handled and oversaw my adoption. And this letter, this very short, brief letter held so much information for me. This is when I discovered about my Puerto Rican lineage. I didn't know. I had known that I was Filipina, and I realize now it's because probably the social worker was able to divulge that information and or my parents had this letter. Mm -hmm. So I knew that much, but I didn't know anything else. I didn't know know anything else about my background, and so the social worker said in this letter, "I thought you would like to know a little bit about your your bio mother, your birth mother." They didn't have a lot of information about my birth father, but they did know that he was of Puerto Rican descent. That's what they said, and that was the first time I'd seen that in like an actual wow. confirmation. And that, and you and I, in our conversations about genetics and ancestry, it's just, that was huge. Oh, so that's Mm -hmm. where my curly hair came from. My hair was much curlier than it is today, but I had curly coarse hair and it didn't look like many Filipino people that I knew. So I was just like, what's that about? Oh, Puerto Rican. Okay. There was some descriptors, excuse me, about my birth mother which was that she loved to, she loves to sing she loves to sing and she loves writing letters and she loves to write and ah there it is right there mm. it is me climbing up that piano bench to peck away me humming as a soothing mechanism right okay so my mother also liked to do these things. So that was, that was relieving and inspiring and astounding. And there was a little bit of a, there was a hollowness of like, oh, gosh, I wish I would have known that sooner. Or, oh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh, that feels far away. I don't know how else to describe it. It felt so far away to have that knowledge now. So there was a little bit of a loss, a little bit of um, mm-hmm. a, one more piece of feeling like there was some loss there. Like, oh, I, I didn't have this time to connect with that. So it was, it was all, the, all the feels, all the emotions. There's a different conversation that I'm not sure how to have yet, to be honest, about why it took 20 years for me to get this letter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this letter was most likely given to your adoptive parents at the time yeah. of your adoption?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. there wouldn't be any other reason for the social worker to stay in our stay. you know, stay yep. in our case. And so... Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was 21 and I even forget the reason why, oh, that could be something. I forget the reason why that letter was even produced that day, meaning the day that she handed it to me. I think it was because I was looking into some schoolwork, a school project about something and and she very, like I said, very mm-hmm. casually said, oh, here's, here's a letter not even the letter, not even, yeah, here's a letter. <laughs> and when I opened it up, I remember standing in my bedroom. I was living with my mom at the time, standing in my bedroom, and I felt my knees, my knees go out from underneath me.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: I notice you
0: use the language. You and I have had a lot of conversations about language and this is a part that I've been struggling with. Mm. You use the language of bio mom. Yeah. Like you you refer to her as your mom. And of course, your adoptive mom, she's your mom yeah. as well. Did that happen over time or was it just always that way for you? I think
1: it happened over time. And because of... The way that I was compelled to work in the field that I'm in, in wellness and mental health and sociology, I think I was granted and gifted the language as I, as I continued my studies and my work. Mm. But that felt very natural, actually, to learn the languaging that at least... This organism, the system that I really had always been a part of, but not really, that it gave me a way in. It gave me a connection, this language, the power yeah. of language. So I could say I'm an adoptee and I have bio parents and I have birth parents, I have adoptive parents, but I quite honestly didn't learn some of this. Like some of the language that's extremely charged for me today, I didn't learn it until like three years ago. I didn't know Mm. what a transracial adoptee was until three years ago. And I saw it in a. And can you say that for anybody who doesn't know what that means? So it's transracial adoptee. And when you break down the wording of it, it's literally when someone of another race adopts you. Or when, um, yeah, when there's, it's of a different race than what your, your original, your birth race is, comes into an adoptee relationship. I didn't know that. I didn't know what that was. And I learned Mm -hmm. that in a hashtag on either Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. But when I saw it, I was like, that's Mm. what I am. I'm a transracial Mm. adoptee. Yeah. Yeah. So no, Mm. so yes, and it was a very natural, I always called my adoptive parents, my parents, my brother. He's my mom's biological son. Again, there's that languaging. He's my brother. He's not my, you know, yeah. And then, but then as I, opened up to and and learned because of my profession, but also learned because of my curiosity, I did learn some of the languaging more and more. It felt like that's right. That's right. This deep
2: Mm -hmm. confirmation. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: Are you grateful that you know this information about yourself? So for instance, when you, at 21, find out that, oh, I'm also half Puerto Rican. (laughs) When you find this information out, does it feel like a blessing to know this information? Does it feel like a burden? How did that feel for you?
1: Upon immediately learning the information, it was so soothing and relieving uh, confirming like oh, God like I could actually exhale. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. So absolutely gratitude. And overwhelm. Because... so now what? Now what? Now that I know this information, there's a completely other side. There's this whole other culture. Whole other branch that I get to learn about. And then mm-hmm. there's the how do I do this? What do I do with this information? Yeah. And so, quite honestly, I didn't do anything with it other than mm-hmm. my own, and I know you get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other than my own maybe quiet or musings. I mean even to this day 22 plus years later I am just now contemplating joining 23 and me and dropping in mm. What are your fears
0: around finding out more information what are you afraid of I
1: think I'm more Cautious about the swiftness, the swiftness in which more information is going to come in. Yeah, I get that. I know you do. Yeah, I know you experience such a quick response and Mm -hmm. a flooding of information. So I think I'm resistant because of that. I seem to intuitively know, and because I have friends who have experienced, that the second that I hit connect, the second that I hit go, it is done. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact, I think that may have been mentioned in the letter as well. It's interesting. I haven't read the letter in quite some time. I'd like to pull it out. She has other children. My birth mother has more kids. Mm-hmm. So I have undoubtedly, I mean I have I have siblings, I have half siblings and who knows on my father's side. Right? Yeah. Would you be more
0: mm, I, I'm always conscious of the language. <laughs> Would you be more open to, and like you said, there may be with the swiftness of how quickly things unfold if you do decide to take that Mm. leap, that step that you may not have total control over it. But would you be more open to meeting siblings or potentially your bio parents or even bio mother versus bio father? Is there
1: how? Oh. Mm. great question. There's a softer feeling around meeting siblings. Yeah. I am up until honestly this year, maybe just the last couple months. Quite honestly, I was, I felt that I was okay with, I was, I'll go ahead and say even content with not, actively seeking out anything about my birth family, my bio family.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Only very, very recently. And I'll say a big piece of it today is just you watching you and your incredible journey. That's really, really helped me understand this, the magnitude of the wealth of knowledge and also yeah. the gaining of new relationships and that this richness. Oh, oh gosh, it just settled in me. I feel that I am still working on that thread of being able to receive wealth and love. And when I say wealth, I mean wealth of energy, wealth of unconditional positive regard. Yeah. I feel resistant to receiving that. Hmm. You mentioned
0: that it may be easier opening yourself to or connecting with a sibling first. And I just had a breakthrough moment on Friday night around this. Hmm. For me, absolutely so much easier to make those initial connections with these half-siblings. And I was in the car with my sister-in-law and I was explaining, I was like, I still don't entirely know why it's so much harder for me in relation to Thomas, who was the sperm donor. And it finally clicked. So to have siblings, it's not taking away from anyone or anything. It's just adding mm-hmm. to my life. Mm-hmm. It's just adding more right you can have more siblings like you can have more siblings and more siblings and it's not you know some people might feel like oh it's taking away something from the ones you had already or who you grew up with but I don't look at it in that way but for me to make a connection with Thomas who is my biological father is the language we have currently Mm -hmm. for this Mm -hmm. Which is language I am not ready to embrace yet. Mm -hmm. It is taking something away. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's taking away, if I allow this to be true, it's taking away my relationship with my dad. When I look at it from this kind of limited perspective, Mm -hmm. which being on this journey can do, can bring up so many things. And so I find it, I find it interesting that you also feel that way.
2: Yeah. Uh
1: We have a lot of shared threads. For me, I know some of the hesitancy on pursuing any of my research or connectivity with my, my biological family is out of protection and caution, and quite honestly, a little bit of fear of how my mom... My adoptive mom mm-hmm. will take it. will yeah. Will process it because I know there have been glimpses where she's expressed exactly what you you said, which was like the immediate thought is a, the taking away, like. If you find your biological mom, your biological parent, that will therefore diminish and decrease the need for me to be here in your life. Mm-hmm. So talk about that repeated, almost cyclical pattern of like resistance because we don't want to lose anymore. Uh, we don't. Yeah. We don't want to lose this relationship or this understanding that we have now. But your epiphany is really, that feels really significant and key, right? When we understand that it's not loss, it's actually a gain. And there's more. There's more available. It touches and it bumps up against my edges though of, as I spoke about just a moment ago of, am I worthy of more? Am I worthy of accepting this wealth? Yeah.
0: Mm. I'm just holding that moment. Am I worthy? Am I worthy? Mm. That brings me to my next question, which is this idea of belonging versus fitting in. (laughs) Do you feel that you belong?
1: Mm. I do now and interestingly enough it may not have to do with immediate genetics per se oh it really feels more of a larger conversation the epigenetics of it all so the ancestral mm-hmm. the ancestral piece we spoke earlier about our draw and our connectivity our cords Around physical geographical places in addition to people. So there's a part of me that has acknowledged and knows and feels surrounded and loved and seen and connected belonging to particular places and people. But it might not necessarily have to do with the fact of that these are traditional familial, familial ties. Like, I belong with you and Brenda and, mm-hmm. right, there are groups of people and places and energies that are mine, that are my ilk. So I would say that I belong more to the connectivity and energetics of particular relationships than I do, say, to the Filipino culture. Mm -hmm. There's also an interesting branch of folks who are biracial. Do you pick one to belong to or are are you belonging to this group that is biracial, which is... Interesting. Right? Yeah. Like There's three options there's, there, there. are three, yeah. and then you could break it down some more because how many people are Filipina and Puerto Rican, specifically biracial? Yeah, and living in California. Living in California.
0: Like, and also, yeah. yeah, yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's a wonderful question, and it's one that is still evolving. And I can yeah. answer in a way that there are places and people that I belong with and to. But that's always changing. That's always expanding, evolving, evolving, yeah. yep, yeah.
0: And I think, oh, I wish I had it. There's a quote from Maya Angelou that I think Brene Brown puts in her book, braving the wilderness and and it's about ultimately belonging to yourself mm. and no longer trying to fit in because I know for me the moments. I know what it feels like to try and fit in versus to belong truly to myself. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, coming back to what you said about am I worthy is I belong to myself and I am worthy and I am worthy of love and belonging. Mm
1: -hmm. And this willingness to grant... That permission, that understanding, the grace to ourselves, there's self-worthiness, there's self-love, there's self-care. But if we're questioning whether or not we deserve that on our own, Mm. that's an interesting journey as well that I've discovered. Uh, You said something, you always say something that makes me go, ah, I get the all of these epiphanies with you, and now it's sort of floating. I would make a joke, and is it a joke? I don't know. Maybe it's me proclaiming. <laughs> I don't know. When people would ask me about my backgrounds, my ethnic cultural backgrounds, and I would say, well, Filipino and Puerto Rican, and there is something really wonderful about saying that. But then I would kick it up a notch by saying, depending on whether or not I'm feeling feisty or feeling a particular way, I'm either Filarican or Portopina, And people often just go, oh, you know, that's that's clever, funny. And then I realized that it might be that is my way of creating my own culture, creating my own Mm. acceptance that what my particular ingredients are. Yeah, it's got this cool little spicy twist on it, which is, which I'm happy to do. So, Mm. like I said, I don't know if it's a joke as much as me actually proclaiming it out loud of like, yeah, you could put me in this category, this category, but I'm actually this whole other third separate entity.
2: Mm. I love that. (laughs) And
0: I love this conversation. And I always want this podcast to be a place that shares the non-linear ways of healing in the sense of it's not, you know, A, B, C, D. It's not this perfect straight line that happens. No. And, and there are these periods of time where it's like, okay, maybe now I'm ready for the next step. So you're at that place where you're Contemplating putting yourself in 23andMe, which you've never done before, and haven't probably hadn't even had much desire to do so since recently. Mm-hmm. That's a part of our healing journey. I agree. Is, yeah, just being open to what's next. What's, what's
1: next. next? Yeah. Yeah. I texted you. I I feel like we said this. If we don't speak for a few days, it feels like ages. But so I'm just gonna say this. I texted you recently and I said, okay, so I didn't know I was gonna do this. One way that I'm reclaiming, that's another one of our Mm. one of our one of our words. One of the ways I'm reclaiming myself, this portapina, (laughs) is returning to my musical roots. So I pulled out my guitar that I haven't played in so long and and I restrung it and I got it cleaned up and it's so beautiful and it's here, it's out in the open so that I can reach for it and just be with it. Ready. Yes. So there's the guitar and that same day, that same day I found myself, I registered for an account on 23andMe. So, yeah. That felt so. It was an empowering, an empowering day (laughs) of reclamation. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's just taking the next brave step, just being brave enough. Yeah. That's it. We don't need to be super courageous, just brave enough for the next step. That's right. So I want to share with everyone, I know that KJ and I are going to have lots more conversations. So yeah. we don't even know what's being born or created between us yet, but we're open. We're open and we to it. we know something so is. You, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We both know something is. Yeah. So her Instagram is at Begins Within. Oh, her podcast is, yes. I was going to say, actually, it different?
1: It's, it's different. And because I'm moving, okay. Tell us the new one. Reclaiming. Yes. What's the new one? It's actually my personal one that it's just become me. It feels Mm. more me. So it's it's musings. Okay, give it to us. That's the one that's musings on other. That's my Instagram musings on other. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I'll have links
0: to this in the show notes. Her podcast is Stories of Astonishing Light. And I'll have a link to her website as well. Is that staying the same? That's the same.
1: That is Bliss Begins Within. Okay, yeah. so
0: Bliss Begins Within, and she hosts these incredible retreats across the globe. She has multiple scheduled for Bali. Yeah. So if you have an interest to going to Bali, I think I I am going to try my hardest to be there be in there. September. Yeah, and you'll be so, there. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a couple minutes? We only have a couple minutes for a few rapid fire to finish us
1: off. Oh, I'd love that. I love rapid fire. Yeah. What is your favorite book? Oh. The Crossroads of Should and Must by Mm. Elle Luna. She's um, an artist and a writer. She's also a mentor of mine that I've had the privilege and honor of working closely with now for the last couple of years. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I'm adding that to my
0: list. I need to read that. Get it to you.
1: What are you currently reading? Currently I'm reading like 17 books and I'm looking over at, at <laughs> them right now. I'll just reach for the closest one, which is Gabor Mate's book, The Myth of Normal.
0: Oh Yeah. Yes, I have it. I haven't started it yet, mostly because it's so big. It is so freaking <laughs> so
1: intimidating. It is. So what I do yeah. is I just kind of let the book drop open. If I have a minute or two and I land where the Mm -hmm. book drops open right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What is one thing you know for sure? Mm. That I already know. I already have Mm. answers.
0: Yeah. That feels good. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And do you have a favorite quote you'd like to leave us with?
1: Oh, there's so, so many, but... I think I mentioned this the last time when we tried to, well, when we had our meeting, (laughs) but it's from the four agreements with Don Miguel Luis, which is be impeccable with your word. And so that's one of the the first, I think it's the first agreement where basically know that words, language, as you and I are speaking about, but they're powerful, including the way that we use them for ourselves, use these words towards ourselves, the way that we describe ourselves, the way that we speak to ourselves. Be impeccable with your word.
2: Mm.
0: Okay. Well, KJ, thank you so much for this conversation. And there will be more to come. So we thank you for being here today. Thank you
1: so, so much. This was wonderful.
0: I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you're sure to never miss a single episode.